I'm very excited to talk with you. You've had one hell of a career, but I want to ask specifically about Cutter's Way. But do you mind if I ask you a little bit about how you got into the business? What then existed was a Rotary International undergraduate scholarship. I had been a Rotary Exchange student in Norway, and I was first alternate for the scholarship. The person who got it decided to get married. You couldn't be married on the scholarship. I was at university at Queen's University in Kingston because I had a Canadian grandmother, and the tutor got me hooked up with a program at St. Peter's College, Oxford, so I accepted scholarship. And Oxford University has quite renowned dramatic society. And I started acting right away. And the year I was there, I just loved it. I felt like I was at home for the first time in my life, that it was something that I loved, that I could do. So I did, I played a shark in West Side Story. And then I was in Bookner's Downtown Death, and then I did a production. I was Nora in a doll's house. And then the Oxford and Cambridge Shakespeare Company asked me to do Beatrice and Much Ado About Nothing and Jean in The Entertainer. And that was it. I didn't want to go home. I didn't want to go back to Queens. I wanted to stay in Oxford and act. I'd been told I would be cast in Mother Courage, and that was it. So I stayed. And at the end of that year, I was invited to a cocktail party at the drama teacher, the drama master of a couple of people at Oxford from the boys' school, which was called Latimer Upper School. It's one of those grammar schools in London. And at that cocktail party was Alan Rickman. I was introduced to Alan. He was at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art at the time. We started talking about acting. And, oh, I don't know, 45 minutes or so into the conversation, he just looked at me and said, you should go to RADA. (laughs) And I said, well, obviously I'd love to go to RADA. He took it upon himself to call the principal of RADA and asked if I wanted to audition, why didn't I just go back to the United States? Because I was going back in a couple months in New York. And I said, I would rather audition in London. I had been in England for a couple of years by then. I felt comfortable. I So the principal agreed to see me on his own in room four. And I did two pieces for him, Molly Bloom from James Joyce's Ulysses and As You Like It, Rosalind. I went back to the United States and I waited. And then I got a letter saying that I got in. And from that time forward, Alan and I were dear friends and in a kind of way we mentored each other. He came to me when he got Die Hard. He'd just seen a quite not good enough movie, but one that I hoped would be my top gun called Opposing Force about a rogue commander on a survival course for military people. He saw that and and um, <laughs> he said, if, if you can be believable in a movie like that, I want you to tell me about movie acting because I've never done any movie acting. So we had conversations like that. That's how I started. I got training and the day after I finished at the Royal Academy I was I had been cast to play Ophelia in Hamlet and I went off to do that and 
about six months after that, I met Jack Clayton, who directed The Pumpkin Eater and with Anne Bancroft. And he had done The Great Gatsby, and he was doing a new movie with Cicely Tyson and Jason Robards. And she saw me for it. The business was, of course, very different years and years ago. But he met me and he talked to me. He asked me to bring something in to read to him. So I brought him in a piece from the awkward age. He said, why weren't you around when I was doing Gatsby? I know that's blasphemous, but that's what he did say. So anyway, day he was going to give me the part, Paramount pulled the plug on the movie. Then I went off a week later to meet John Fessinger. And my agent told me, you must be British. And I said, I've never lied about my nationality. I had residency and I was quite mid-Atlantic in my speech by then. It really sounded like I was kind of Irish or stuck in the middle of the ocean or something. Not American and not English or British. He said, if you want the part, you have to tell them you're British. So I went along to his house on Victoria Road in South Kensington, knocked on the door and gentleman answered the door and said, oh, you're Lisa Eichhorn. And I said, yes. He said, wait here. So I waited in an ante room, one of those grand old Victorian houses. And they took me downstairs to the basement, which would, in those houses, it would have been a kitchen or something. Anyway, lots of sofas and Oscars and things on mantelpieces. And Flesinger walked up to me and said, you're Lisa Eichhorn. And I said, yes. He said, you're British. And I said, Yes, half British. And he said, oh, which half? And I went, oh my God, inside, you know, the brain is such a marvelous thing. Inside my brain is going, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I said, um, uh, my father. Because in that brief instant when the brain acts but doesn't actually know why it is or you have some instinct you don't even know you have, I realized that if I got the part, my mother would come and watch me do filming, but my father had a full-time job and he would never come. So I said, my father, and he said, oh, which part? England is he from? And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to get caught. Something bad should happen to me. And I just said, because it was kind of generic, I said, London. And he went, oh, because you sound like, you have Northern in your accent. Well, when I was at RADA, a couple of my best friends were from exactly where the movie of Yanks takes place. And we were together every day for a couple of years. So I guess my everyday English accent was tinged with that. So he said, would you like to come back and do a screen test? I said, yes, but I'm going to the States for Christmas. My father's there right now. Oh, my God. And um, anyway, I came back and screen tested and then screen tested again because they cut my hair and changed my clothes. And so that's sort of how it started. I was doing theater the first six months and then I was in the movies. Did he ever find out that you weren't British? I screen tested in January. He flew Richard Gere over and he didn't like it. He didn't like the test. As I said, I had very long hair at that time. And the costume designer dressed me in brown, and he didn't like it. 
So he wanted to do a retest and they actually cut my hair. They got a, a costume designer who was in the end, the costume designer who did the film, I think. No, no, they didn't change the costume designer yet. That happened after we start, started shooting. He asked my agent if I would be offended if they kept my teeth. This was a very delicate subject, I guess, because you just don't assume those days, you know, in ancient times, that you could say to somebody, yeah, you can, you can audition for the part, but we really want to cap your teeth. So we did all that. Richard Gere was flown back, and I tested with three other women, and I was last to go that day. I was there at six in makeup and hair and finished at six that evening. And as I was going to the dressing room to change, Schlesinger asked me if I would like to go to dinner. And he said it would just be he and Joseph Yanni, the producer, and Richard Gere, and that they were going to a restaurant on Beecham Place. And I said, yes, thank you very much. That's lovely. So we went to dinner and I was so exhausted. I was literally, it was one of those scenes where in the movie, the characters literally falling asleep in their spaghetti. But I, I didn't and went home. And he said to me as I was leaving, he said, look, you understand the labs are closed tomorrow. It's Saturday. And then we have to edit this. And then maybe we'll put some music with it. So you might not hear it until next week, middle of next week. And I said, Oh, I understand. I understood nothing, but I I was gaining knowledge every moment I was a part of the process. So I said, I understand. That's fine. So I'm back to my digs, and it was Friday evening and Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. The phone rang, and the people in the flat said, there's a telephone call for you. And I went down to the telephone, and it was John's assistant. And she said, hello. I've got John Schlesinger for you. Can you hold the line? And I said, yes. So she went off and he said, hello. I said, hello. He said, I want you to know you've got the part. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And he said, you've got the part. And I said, thank you. And he he hung up and I hung up. And I didn't know that you said anything more than Thank you very much at that time. I was told that when the day was done, he told his people that there was a Cherry Lungi as a British actress, and apparently her audition was better than mine, but he wanted me for some reason. And he said, I don't care if I have to put it to fucking music, I want that girl. That's what I was told subsequent by his assistant. So they looked at the dailies that next day. They looked at them immediately. They didn't cut it to music. They didn't edit it. They just looked at them and that was that. That was the Saturday. I called him on, that was your question. I called him on the Monday. I said, John, can I come see you? I have something to tell you. So I go to his house on Victoria Road and I knock on the door I go into the living room, the sitting room this time, and I said, John, I have something to tell you. And he said, you don't have your fucking equity card. I said, no, 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 I, I have my equity card because at that time in England, you had to do a certain number of weeks in repertory theater and then you earned your card. 
so I said, no, no, I, I have my card. I said, I'm, I'm American. He said, yes, I know, half American. And I said, no, I'm all American. And he looked at me and he said, I knew it. I knew it the whole time. And do you know that he made me suffer through all the filming? And he is very, very rigorous, let's just say, Taskmaster. And he didn't admit that I had fooled him until we were in front of the foreign press a year later. Somebody in the foreign press asked him and he said, oh, no, she completely fooled me. He didn't let me know I fooled him. Doing a play or doing television is, in my experience, different from doing a film. That may seem an obvious statement. There's more money. There's more pressure. I had a baptism of fire. I mean, John Schlesinger was a known misogynist. He was a screamer, really a screamer. But the day after we finished filming, if someone said, would you work with him again? I would have said, yes sign me up. Doing a play or doing television is, in my experience, different from doing a film. That may seem an obvious statement. There's more money, there's more pressure. I had a baptism of fire. I mean, John Schlesinger was a known misogynist. He was a screamer, really a screamer, but the day after we finished filming, if someone said, would you work with him again? I would have said, yes, sign me up. It's a glorious thing to try to portray a character that means a lot to you or be in a film that means a lot to you or to be a part of something that people that you respect are a part of. But as glorious as the business is, as we know over these last five years, really know it's not simple. You said the last five years. Are you referring to the Me Too movement? Yes. You know, we're talking about my beginning in the the mid-70s. That's when I first came out, RADA. And I think that people weren't aware, didn't know things that they know now, are aware of now. People want to behave better, I hope. I had an agent at the time I was doing Yanks. This is a, for instance, there's nothing about me too. But I would go home exhausted after work and when we were filming up north in England. And my agent at the time told me I had to go out to dinner with people. I had to mix. I had to mingle. I said, I can't. I'm too tired. I have to make this movie. And he said, well, you're getting a reputation as being someone who you know, isn't very friendly. I said, oh my God, I have a job to do. I've got a reputation for being difficult. Very early on, I wasn't difficult. I talked to Schlesinger about 15 years after we made Yanks. We had lunch together or something. And I got to ask him, I said, was I difficult? And he said, no, of course not. As in all walks of life and all jobs, a cavalier statement here or there can affect things. And I certainly remember when I got fired from all night long, everybody in L.A. knew what had happened. 
And then I got to New York and the story had changed a bit. But by the time I got to London, because I was on my way to Poland to do a job, I had stormed off the set. I was on all the tabloids went wild, but it wasn't true. So what is the story behind All Night Long? Well, we'd done a couple, a few weeks of rehearsals, and we'd done three weeks of principal photography. The whole time we were doing that, Sue Mengers was trying to get Barbara Streisand to play my part, and she kept refusing. And Universal had spent a lot of money, 1941, the Spielberg movie, and they were committed to doing a handful of low-budget films three or four million dollars. And this was a little movie about a girl who works in a drugstore, who writes country and Western music, who has an affair and then has an affair with the father of the person she's having an affair with. And it's very little European movie about night people in like a drugstore, right? I thought that I was doing my next good work. It was the next, I was so excited about it because she was funny. And I played serious, I played damaged, I played innocent, I hadn't played, I played slightly feisty, but I had, on, in film I mean, but I hadn't played funny. And I really wanted to do that. I was in Pennsylvania for Mother's Day. 1980, 80, 81, I can't remember. And the phone rang at quarter to one in the morning, and I ran out in the hallway. My parents were sleeping, and I picked up the phone, and it was the director. He said, hello, Lisa, Jean-Claude, it's not working. I said, oh, oh, what can I do? He said, it's not working. I said, oh, well, um, what can I do? I'm coming back to L.A., you know, day after tomorrow. I said, what can I do? He said, it's not working. And I don't know why it took me three goes, but I finally understood what he meant, but I made him tell me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're fired. I'm sorry. And he hung up. And it started to blub. And I was bawling my eyes out. I called my attorney in New York and woke him up at one o'clock in the morning because of course it was only 10 o'clock in LA and said I just got fired can they do that he said of course they can but they have to pay you I was like great Barbara Streisand took over from me her salary became what the entire movie was supposed to cost the cameraman got fired the actor who had played the young Love interest for me, he got fired. And apparently, although I've never seen it, it was a terrible movie. I don't know. I never saw it. It was probably overbalanced because it was just a little movie and she was a super, superstar, is a superstar. Brian Kello wrote a book about Sue Mengers and he talks about it. Apparently, Sue Mengers went to... Um, Lou Wasserman at Universal and said, you know, I've got Barbara Streisand. And he said, well, we've already got Lisa Icorn. No, she said, I've got Barbara Streisand. He said, we have Lisa Icorn. <laughs> They're three weeks into photography or something like that. And, and, and then it was 
you know, a Hollywood deal. The industry has changed so much over the years since you first started acting. Just to think about the attitude uh, towards television and how it has shifted over the years. That is exactly right. And so true. I mean, you were a film actor or you were a TV actor. You didn't get to cross over. Nobody crossed over. And heaven forfend if you were a commercial actor. Do you know what I mean? And then then there was that time when suddenly credit card companies or luxury brands were getting famous actors to do spots. And then suddenly it was okay. Yeah, the business has changed enormously. I, I was talking on a panel about careers and longevity and how, how, how do you do it? And I was telling some of the uh, young people there that when I first started, the casting person would call your agent uh, to see you. And then if you weren't right for the part, they'd call your agent and say, she was really good or she's not what we're looking for, but thanks a lot. I mean, there's those kind of courtesies disappeared long ago. And now because of even before the pandemic, I did an audition on my phone for a movie in Italy and got the part. Couldn't have imagined that in the late 70s, that that would be the case. And now it's very, very, very commonplace to do auditioning on Zoom or send in a tape and not meet people. I remember when I was, while we were filming Yanks, I met Ismail Merchant in um, in Eaton Square. I just went in and talked to him and he said, I want you to do this. I said, what about Mr. Ivory? He said, oh, it's okay. He's already in America. And that was that. He told Jim, James Ivory, that he thought I was right. And that was that. I never met James Ivory before I flew out to Boston and I flew out the day after we finished Yanks. But I got to see him. I got to be with him in a room. I, I would have to say I I don't think I've really mastered the art of Zoom auditioning because I really like people and I like being in the room with people, even if all they want to do is chat and they don't want anything else, you know? You have been on our television quite a bit, especially because we are big fans of British TV, so seeing you in like Cracker and Midsummer Murders, it's always such a treat. But those shows, Inspector Moore's Midsummer Murders, Cracker, they they were so much fun to do. And although basically they are the British equivalent of series television, they are done in such a different way. There's more time taken, so if you're shooting something that's an hour and a half, maybe you have a month to shoot it. Whereas in episodic, and they consider it a series, but they wouldn't consider it episodic television the way they do in this country. So on episodic television here, you know, Law and Order's eight days, and it's quick, and it's good, and but it's quick. Purposeful in England. Everybody wants to get things done. You want to make the day. And it has a totally different feel to it because you know you're going to, you're going to do one story for longer than a week. If that one story is going to take you three or four weeks. So I think there's a different feeling to it. It's almost like doing a, a small film in a way. Now you mentioned Alan Rickman earlier. 
and the effect he had on your career. You ended up getting to work with him on Judas Kiss. What was that like? I think it's the only time we worked together. He came to see everything I did, and I went to see everything he did. He came to Manchester to see my Marilyn Monroe. He came. We supported each other, and I could trust him, and he would tell me. I told you that he did ask me, how do you do it? Because he was about to do Die Hard, and he'd never done any film acting. He he also came to see me on the set of All My Children, which when I first moved to New York in the mid-'80s, I did for about a year. And he couldn't believe how many pages of dialogue you got through on a soap opera. He was just amazed. He was, he was just amazed, he said. He pages in one day. It was like he was like gobsmacked. He came to see the very first thing that people were allowed to come and see when I was at Rada. He was, I just trusted him. I, he would tell me if, if I was being clear, if I was making a mistake, if what my intention was, if it was good, if it was not good enough. I felt really blessed to have someone that would tell me it straight, you know? Oh my gosh, he sent me a letter after Yanks came out or just before Yanks came out. I still have it in my papers. Remember I told you about what happened with All Night Long? Go backwards a few years and Yanks is coming out and Alan writes me a letter. I'm in the States. He's in London doing a play and he says to me, I've heard that you're going to have plastic surgery. Why would you do that? <laughs> I, I had no, no intention of having anything done to my face or any of my limbs. <laughs> but he heard it somehow and wrote to me very seriously about, yes, he'd seen Yanks, about what he saw and how whatever those imperfections were, those imperfections were what made it wonderful and kind of admonished me at the end of his letter that I better not. I mean, we need friends like that, even if, they, even if they've got the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> we at least know they care about us enough to put their foot in their mouth. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you talk about how nice he is because he always came off that way in interviews. He was good and funny and fair. And for me, it may not be the case for other people, but one of the things that I loved about being an actor when I was in England was that, and I experienced it differently. I think I went, I was invited to a birthday party after I finished Marilyn Monroe for Brian Cox. And Alan and his wife were going and if I could come along. And one of the things I loved about the gathering most of all is that you could see that there were actors who were in all different times and places in their career. Some people were having great success. Maybe it was reflected in the way they were dressed. They had expensive clothes on. Some people were doing what they call job jobbing in England. You're job jobbing it. They didn't have on new shoes or, you know, fancy clothes or, but when the group got together, everybody was equal. They were actors. They were all together. 
they didn't stop talking to someone just because they weren't it at the moment. They weren't famous at the moment. They weren't forgotten. Maybe they'd had a moment, but they weren't having a moment now. I remember I saw Robin Ellis, who was in The Europeans. I hadn't seen him since 1978 when we were filming The Europeans. It was 1996. He just, he just came up to me and it was so lovely. I mean, to be fair, I haven't spent a lot of time in those kind of circles in New York when I did the Broadway plays or the off-Broadway plays. It was different. Maybe if I'd gone to Juilliard or something, I'd have that coterie of friends. But the people that were met in this room at this birthday party, they hadn't all gone to the same drama school. Some of them hadn't gone to drama school at all. Some of them were old. Some of them were young. You know, just was this feeling that everybody was equal. Everybody was trying to make a life. Everybody needed to be an actor. You know, it was great. It was a great evening. Because it wasn't about money or prestige. If memory serves, you worked with Jeff Bridges again in Was It Vanishing? Yes. And that was really nice. It's the kind of thing that I dreamed about in my career, that I would do a play and then I would do another play with the same people or I'd work with this director and then I'd work with the director again. And so it was um, it was like a dream, part of the dream of my career that I had in my in my mind that to to work again with someone that I'd had such a good experience with. How did you get involved with is it called Defenders of Riga? I went over to Latvia and uh Lithuania. A friend was working over there and I as a member of the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences, I had been a, what they call a visiting artist, and I had been to Kosovo and done a workshop and Milan, and uh, I was asked if I would do a workshop in Latvia, and so I did it. I I I requested to be a visiting artist again and, and got permission to, to be a visiting artist and went to under the auspices of, you know, Ampis and went to Latvia and met with this producer. And he said to me, can I show you this film I'm making? And he owned the studio and he was a big deal in Riga. And he said, I, I want you to tell me what you think. And I looked at the footage that he showed me, and um, he said, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't think it's very good. I think that the soldiers don't look like they've been in the First World War. They are not battle-weary. Their costumes look brand new. I don't understand who they are or where they're going. You want to make a movie, a Hollywood movie? It's not good enough. And then he said to me, he had two actors who were the leading actors, and they couldn't stand working together. And he said to me, can you fix this? And I said, I can try. And I can, I think I can fix it, and I can help you in any way that I can. So I did the workshop. I was there for a week during the workshop, and it went well. And he brought me back to work on the script as well as work with the actors because it was 
two hours too long. The script was rambling. It was written by a Latvian and a Russian. It was the thing is they brought me back a year later <laughs> after they'd spent something like a million. They were like a million euros in and it was a mess and it was terrible. And I said, I, I can fix this for you. So he hired me and, um, it was wonderful. I, I loved, I loved being a part of it. I got a producing credit and a screenwriting credit. The two actors who didn't like each other really looked like they loved each other in the movie. Uh, we did lots of acting exercises before. I loved it. I loved adding that string to my bow. And it ended up being the highest, okay, Latvia is a very small country, I know, but it ended up being the highest grossing film in the history of Lat Latvian cinema and something, some enormous amount of something like 50% of the citizenry, citizen, citizens of the country saw the movie. I mean, it was a phenomenon because it was about their history. 